This is episode 78 of the Christian Travelers Network. Today we'll be talking about miraculous moments in travel with Keith Clouton. Welcome to the Christian Travelers Network, where travel stories, community, and scripture combine. Hey, Christian Travelers. I am so glad that you are here. Today we have an awesome guest who has actually visited over a hundred different countries here to share some of his travel experiences and the miraculous moments that he experienced with God along the way. But before we dive into that, I want to once again point you to our website, christiantravelers.net. There you'll find other faith and travel resources along with uh, links to Pinterest, Instagram, and of course our Facebook group. And a new addition, we are now booking trips for your travels. So as things die down with COVID, keep us in mind for your next travel experience. But without further ado, Keith is a native of the land down under, but has called Alberta, Canada home for several years. He has worked as an academic library director in the United States, Australia, and Canada, where he lives with his wife, Nairi. Keith has visited more than 100 countries. His travels have included an overland journey in a camper van from London to India, a 560-mile backpacking adventure in a rugged part of eastern Australia, and trips to developing countries as a library consultant and volunteer. In vacation time, Keith and Nairi have led Christian group tours on five continents. Keith is also a keen Bible student. Hello, Keith. How are you doing today? Thank you very well, Sarah. I'm uh, doing very well, and it's, uh, it's great to be uh, involved with you in this program. Yes, we are excited to have you here. You have traveled to over 100 different countries. What has been like the biggest motivation for going to so many places? <laughs> Actually, I never planned to do that, to, do, to travel to so many countries. So it, in a sense, it all just happened. Um, it began, I suppose, when, uh, well, first of all, I went to New Zealand to marry my wife. But uh, then later, several years later, I went to the United States of America uh, with my family where I wanted to do further study in my field of librarianship. And uh, we had to find a way of going home and we wanted to see the world as we did it. So we had uh, a Volkswagen camper van, um, actually set up for driving in Australia, which means the steering wheel was on the right-hand side. And uh, we decided we'd drive it home. And so we did that trip, took six months and drove from Southern California to Eastern Australia. Um, we clocked actually on the vehicle for uh, 4,000, no, 45,000 miles, oh which goodness. is about the circumference of the earth. And uh, uh, that, that trip took us through 30 countries. So that was my start. And then as part of my work in America as an academic librarian, I found myself also being asked to uh, go with teams to uh, libraries or to colleges and universities, I should say, in Africa and sometimes Asia. Um, and my job was to check out their libraries and make any recommendations as to how they could uh, upgrade their libraries, which were very important for these places in that part of the world. 
And so as a volunteer, well, not as a volunteer, but as a paid person of the team at that point, I added quite a number of more countries to the list that I had been to. And then after retiring, uh, I, my wife and I decided we'd keep doing this as volunteers, uh, going all around the world, different places. And we did that at the same time as we began to operate uh, tours for Christians to different parts of the world. We called ourselves Boomerang Tours because we were based because of our original Australian base. And uh, so we took trips, a total of 30 different tours to different parts of the world until we called that a day uh, about seven, seven or eight years ago. That's awesome. So your trip from um, California to Australia, you said, that was like 4,000 miles? Uh, 45,000 miles. Uh, yeah, actually, it was more than that. What am I saying? Uh, it was basically equivalent to the circumference of the Earth around the equator, which yeah. is, sorry, 24, let me get the figure straight, 24,500 miles. And that's the distance we drove in our VW camper van. Uh, obviously, we, we had to put it on ship with ourselves three times to complete that journey all the way from California to, uh, to Sydney, Australia. Okay, I, I'm curious, kind of walk me through starting in California, like where did you go, um, especially with the ship journeys, where did you jump continent to continent? <laughs> Okay. Our trip started, of course, Southern California. We decided we may never see Canada. <laughs> now we've lived here for several years. We, we thought we'd never see Canada. So we drove across uh, much of uh, Western Canada and finished up at New York. Uh, we, put our, we put our van on a ship going to, um, at that point, across to uh, Europe. And while it was on the boat, we flew to Iceland and spent a week or so there just uh, getting acquainted with that country, which was amazing. Uh, then we were reunited with our van uh, in Belgium. We arrived there. And uh, so we then drove for three months all over Europe, going north as far as Sweden and uh, Norway, uh, south right down to uh, Spain and uh, everywhere in between and to Eastern Europe as well at that time. And then once we got to Venice, we went on then into the Eastern European countries. We went through what was then Yugoslavia, it's now several different countries, into Northern Greece. From Northern Greece, we crossed Turkey and uh, from Turkey into Iran, then Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, Southern India, we took by ship again across the Bay of Bengal to Malaysia. Uh, we spent a week in Malaysia traveling and then finished up in Singapore. From Singapore, we took another ship to Western Australia with our van on board and finished up by driving across Australia to our home territory in Eastern Australia. So that's how we clocked uh, 24,500 miles. That's crazy. And so you said that it had a steering wheel kind of like on the Australian side, so it was on the right side? That's correct, because we imported the van while we were in America. We imported it from Germany and requested that it be set up that way. At that time in Australia, they did not have these camper vans, and that was why we decided 
it was worth investing in one and uh, taking it back home to Australia with us, which is what we did. Oh, that's awesome. And so then was it challenging driving on like through America when it was on the right side of the road and then switching over? I could tell you some funny stories about that sometime, but yes, it was um, because uh, it caused great confusion sometimes because my wife was sitting typically in the position where the driver would normally be sitting. And if she was asleep, she'd be dozing and uh, people would see that as they were passing us on the highway. Um, and wondering whether the driver was asleep. Uh, yeah. we, uh, we put big signs on the back of our vehicle saying Australian visitor to try to alert people that not to expect everything the way it was in America. Uh-huh. That makes sense. So um, I know it's always hard to pick a favorite, but which one or ones of those countries has made the biggest impact on you? Well, Several countries have made impacts on us in very different ways. Uh, for example, people ask me, "What's your favourite country?" Well, one wonderful country that we've I've been to several times and always enjoyed has been Norway. Not a crowded country like much of Europe. Uh, we found the people of Norway are remarkably, um, shall I say, egalitarian. In other words, you don't have the wide range of people in terms of their incomes and economies. I've ne- never yet seen a really poor part of Norway in terms of poverty. Um, and uh, so I, I admire Norway for what it's been doing for its people. Um, mm-hmm. On the other hand, uh, I'm very much in love with uh, Eastern Africa, and especially the country of Kenya, because for several years now, my wife and I have been supporting and uh, we've actually helped to build a school, a Christian school in a part of uh, Western Kenya. And uh, and so in many senses, that's a very special country to me. That's awesome. So uh, today we're having you talk and share some of your miraculous moments in your travels, how would you define what a miracle is? Okay. I think that God comes through to us uh, very, very often uh, and uh, through supernatural means, but we don't always see that happening. Um, You know, I've sometimes thought that sometimes when I'm driving, uh, something has come up that I feel, wow. I was lucky that that person did not cross my path just seconds before I I was crossing here. And uh, I sometimes think later, I wonder if if God was involved in that moment uh, in delaying the other vehicle or speeding me up or something in in a situation like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm particularly talking about driving now in some of the countries like India and so on where rules, you don't follow rules all the time. so I have a feeling that God works miracles constantly, but we don't see them. Um, what we do see and understand as a miracle is when it comes through so powerfully that there's no way that a natural explanation could uh, could resolve what just happened. And uh, many times in, in my life and in our lives as a family, we've seen just this happen. 
And we said, wow, God was directly involved in what's just happened in a big way. And, uh, and, and we saw that many times on that long trip back home from California all the way back to Australia. And, uh, and in fact, in three times in, uh, in the country of Turkey, we, we had that kind of experience. Many people kind of question whether God is still in the business of doing miracles today. And I think you and I both agree that he is. But uh, we would love to hear more about those experiences in Turkey. What what miracles happened in your adventures there? Sure. Uh, each of those are long stories. And I'm not sure that, that you want to hear all, all three of the ones I'm thinking of today. Um just briefly there, maybe to whet the appetite, but maybe some other time when I'd love to share them. Uh, the first one was actually getting into the country of Turkey from Greece. Uh, that was a miracle in that if we had arrived at the border of Turkey uh, 15 minutes later than we did on a particular day, we would have not gone through for the next several weeks. Um, God planned at just a particular moment in time. Uh, a second thing happened in central Turkey, right near the Black Sea, when we were we came to a place, and uh, because it was very very dark, and I was given instructions of where to make a sharp where to make a turn, which turned out to be an extremely very sharp turn on a little trail. Um, I uh, I didn't see my headlights didn't show where I was turning. And uh, as a result, we could have been seconds later in the Black Sea, van and all. And in fact, it was a down a cliff and we would have been perished. We would have perished. And there was a miracle that that suddenly five, five guys turned up out of the blue and uh, were able to help push my van back with me, putting all the... the uh, gasoline that I could <laughs> to the motor. That's a long story too and, and has a lot of uh, a lot to that story. The third one, which I'd like to tell you more about, is what happened as we were leaving Turkey to enter Iran. Yeah, we'd love to hear about that. Okay, I'll tell you the story then. Um, as you know, we're traveling with our family. We had two children at, that two, at this point, uh, two girls. Uh, they were then age five and seven. And uh, we had had many interesting experiences driving through eastern part of Turkey. We saw a lot of poverty in that area, a lot of very tiny little villages. In some villages, when we drove through the village, sometimes people would pick up rocks and throw at our van. Uh, I think they'd sometimes had people speeding through some of these places. And so we're a little bit nervous about the whole situation. And, and being you know, a Christian family, we never, ever, in all of our travel, ever started our day without, without prayer together and asking God for his protection and care, no matter what the circumstances. And uh, so on this particular day I'm thinking of, we came to the last small town in Turkey. We were heading east, and the next country was Iran. We knew something from things I'd read, and that was that there were some territories around between Turkey and Iran and so on that were disputed. In other words, Terry, uh, Turkey claimed to be the ownership, 
but Iran also claimed ownership of some areas. And there was a third country, uh, Azerbaijan, which also had claims on some of the territory. So we knew about this. When we came to the last town in Turkey, we looked to our left, by the way, at that point and saw snow on the top of Mount Ararat. That was a beautiful sight. And that was one of the sites I, I remember clearly and took many pictures of, uh, of Mount Ararat for snow-covered people. It was getting toward wintertime anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, then we, at the last town, I said, we must fill up with gasoline because we're heading into another country and we want to be sure we've got plenty of gas in our tank because my tank was almost empty. We went to three different uh, gas stations in that last town in Turkey. They all had big signs in front of them. They were all closed with a big sign that was not in English. And so I couldn't figure out what was happening. So I finally found someone who spoke English and he said, there's no gas in this town until a train comes through sometime in the next few days from Istanbul and it'll be bringing us gasoline. Oh, so that left us in a quandary. And I knew from crossing borders that when you cross from one country to the other, there's virtually always another town, a border town in the country in which you're entering. And so if we couldn't find gas in Turkey, surely if we went through immigration now and crossed into Iran, surely we would find a town and there would be gas there. It wouldn't be the same problem. Uh, so we went to immigration, which took us all the afternoon, as I remember. It took, I think it was about half an hour to sunset when finally we were got clearance to leave and drive into Iran. This was a problem now because my gas tank was showing empty already. And, uh, and we just prayed that, well, we'd find a gas station as soon as we crossed the border. Uh, we climbed up a long hill. It was a long climb up onto a kind of a high plateau as we entered Western Iran. And there before us were several big signs that you couldn't help but stop and wonder what it was all about. One was in Turkish, one was in Farsi, one was in some other language, and one was in English. And we stopped and read and it said, you are now entering disputed territory for the next 50 kilometers, that is 30 miles, you must not stop under any circumstances. We said, oh, and sure enough, no sign of a town or village in sight. We were now uh, just about sunset on a high plateau of, of open country, no trees, just wide plain grasslands, not even hills in sight. The only thing we saw that was captured our view was looking back almost behind us now, or to our left, certainly. And there were the mountains of Mount Ararat, the last sunlight on the snow. It was a beautiful sight. But in our thinking, we were worried because with an empty tank, not to stop for the next 50 kilometers, and I knew that we would be out of, totally out of gas long before that time. What were we to do? Well, we didn't stop to pray. We saw, I was silently praying, and I know Nari was sitting with me at the front. We were quietly saying, Lord, what, what can we do? What can we do? We can't stop. 
and we knew it was a dangerous area to stop because of nomads, nomadic people that were there with their herds and they were armed, and we'd been told it's not safe to stop where they are. So it's getting dark soon. What are we going to do? So we kept just driving. The highway is empty. No one, there's no one else on the highway. And for, the, for obvious reasons, no one wanted to travel after dark anyway. What were we to do? Well, I could, it was getting dusk now. In other words, the sun had set and I'm still driving on an empty tank. And then away over off the highway to my right, I saw a building and I thought, oh, there's a, I hadn't seen a building since we'd crossed the border. There's a building there, I wonder what it is. And I saw a little trail leading down to it. And for some reason I turned off and I turned onto this little trail and drove down to the building. And as I got there, it was a small building, it was totally dark, of course, but right in front of it was something covered up that looked like a gasoline, uh, a gasoline uh, dispensing area. Mm-hmm. I thought, could this be, is this an old, uh, an old service station or something, an old pump, or is it new? And so I parked in the dark and I got out and walked right around this little building. It was quite small, walked all around the building. No one in sight, nothing except just the building. And I tried to look in. There was one little window at the front, but everything was black. I knocked at the only door that there was but I just heard the echo of my own knocking. So I came back to the car and I said to Nari, nobody here. I said, I don't know what the story is. I said, what are we going to do? I think we'll just have to stop here. And then suddenly out of the blue, a man came by wearing a turban. I couldn't see much detail because it is getting dark. And uh, I immediately got out of the van and I, I realized he wouldn't understand English. I just said, petrol, petrol. And he did nothing but nod. I don't remember that he said anything, but just turned and disappeared again. And I thought, well, he may be a nomad or something, but he's gone again. No help here. Anyway, moments later, he came back. And this time he was holding a bunch of looked like heavy keys. And so he proceeded to pull the, the big tarpaulin over and pulled it right off this uh, petrol pump and that's what it was and then with his keys he unlocked something there was no electricity there so i realized i've seen these before where you have to pump by hand Uh, he knew what i wanted so i opened my petrol tank he put the thing into the tank and then he was pressing up and down so that gasoline would flow and it was flowing into my tank um, we couldn't speak, and I. <laughs> he just pumped and pumped for some time, and then he stopped and uh, put the thing back, and I thought, well, that's what he's going to give me. I, and I checked, and I knew I didn't have a full tank, but I had some gas. And uh, I suddenly thought, oh, I'm in Iran. How much, what do I pay him? I've got liras, which were good in Turkey, but now rials, which is the currency of Iran, I don't have any reals, but I thought, oh, yes, I do. When we were in Istanbul at the black market, I had bought a few uh, Iranian reals in case we needed them in emergency. 
So I found them quickly and I handed them to him. He took them, the whole handful of what I had. It may have been, I don't know, $20 worth of, of reals. And uh, I thanked him and then he just disappeared into the darkness. And uh, we said, wow, this is amazing. We were able then to start and drive on. We drove all the way to the next town, which was Marku, that was 40 miles from the border. And we saw no more traffic. But as we drove, we were just astonished in wonder. And when we got to Marku and did stop and found a place that was safe by a, a police station for the night, um, Nari and I talked about it. We said, this was amazing in a place where there should not have been any kind of business that night we found a gas station there was nobody inside but somebody turned up and furthermore they were able to operate the equipment and give us gasoline we said the god who once brought noah's ark on the mountains of Ararat, which we had been looking at that afternoon, was here tonight and obviously was with us at a moment in our lives when we desperately needed help. And we wondered, we said, was that guy an angel that came? We'll never know uh, until maybe I get to heaven. I want to ask my guardian angel if he was there that night. But uh, to us, this was just one great evidence that God loved us, he cared for us, he wanted our family to know that we were safe and that in a situation where I, I didn't know what our lives would be for the next little while because of where we were and without access to, to petrol, uh, God gave us the answer by providing that help just at that moment, late at night. So that's, that's one of my stories, and it's a story that keeps coming back to us very often. And uh, we think about how God was there for us in a moment of great need as we crossed that border through disputed territory, as it was then, into uh, between Turkey and Iran. So God has been good. What miraculous uh, thing that he could be there for you in that moment, in that disputed territory? Did you see anyone else the whole time you drove? No, no. In fact, uh, this was the thing about it, uh, that, that section of the, of, the, of the place. In disputed territory, people don't usually live. In other words, if they do, they're nomadic type people. And... Uh, there were nomads we knew we didn't see them there we saw them during daytime in some other places but uh, these were tribes people who moved constantly between one country and the other borders mean nothing to them they're taking their flocks and herds and in the uh, summer they go up into the mountains in this case to the to the ararat mountains uh, for summer feed and in the winter they move down into warmer parts a long way away sometimes and move with their tents and their herds to other places. So we saw no one else. The only human being we saw was this turban man who turned up out of the darkness and was able to give us gasoline. We saw no other traffic in the whole drive 
from the border right into we came to uh, to into Marku. As we arrived in Marku, we met some other vehicles, but now we're out of the uh, of the disputed zone. Um, so, yeah, we saw no one else, no other traffic. The, the highway was empty. We were the only people on the highway that night in that section. God is so good. From this experience, I guess there's there's a lot of lessons that could be learned in trusting God and how God provides. But in terms of encouragement for other travelers, I guess, what advice might you give them? Okay. Whenever we're, you're traveling, always, in my view, always remember before you start a journey to ask God for his presence and protection with you. Uh, as I said, we've always done this. And there's a tendency sometimes to take it for granted that, oh, well, you know, God will be with us. I believe it's important, beginning of each day of travel, to ask God, wherever we are, whether we're on a, a cruise, whether we're driving, whether we're on a, some other tour, to ask God to be with us, give us protection and care. And this experience tells me that God hears that prayer and he's very near and knows what to do when we are in trouble. So I can trust God. I think that's the big lesson for me. We can trust God with our lives and uh, knowing that he knows what's happening ahead of us. Amen. That is very important. As, as Christian travelers, not only is that a good attitude for us to have in our relationship with God, um, but sometimes it's also an example to those around us, whether that's our family or other travelers um, who just see that we're approaching travel with a, a different mentality, a, a form of trust in our creator. You're right. Uh, you're right, Sarah. Um, I, I know when we've traveled sometimes as a Christian group on a bus tour in Europe and so on, usually our driver, of course, is not is just a, a local bus from the particular country where we're traveling. And many of these drivers uh, do not necessarily have a Christian background, but uh, every morning we always prayed. I often, as the tour leader, had the prayer and I would be praying for our safe journey, but also praying specifically for the driver, that God would give him the expertise that he had in driving the bus for that day. And uh, I always found that we often had uh, these drivers would say to me, there's something special about your group. You're different from other groups. And uh, one of these days I could tell you a couple of amazing stories about that too, but I won't take time now. It sounds like you've had some amazing experiences. Is there anything else uh, that you would like to share with our audience um, in terms of travel, faith, your experiences, anything? Yes. Um, well, I would I would simply emphasize again that uh, as Christians, uh, always take God with you. Um, uh, I liked something that I uh, read on or listened to on your network just uh, yesterday, and that was you had uh, a speaker talking about carrying the Bible with you, and uh, I thought that was very very meaningful. Um, to have, to have the scripture uh, actually physically present uh, when you're traveling is, is something to me 
that uh, that is very important. Well, even when I used to go backpacking, and I've done a lot of backpacking in years gone by, um, I, and uh, when, what you put in a backpack to carry, uh, you wanted to have just the necessities and very lightweight. And so I picked up a, a tiny little Bible that measures about two and a half inches by about two inches the other way, and it's all of a quarter of an inch thick. It's the entire Bible. Um, I can still read it with my glasses, uh, but that was always the one that I put in my pack uh, to always have with me when I was hiking and backpacking. Well, Keith, we have really enjoyed having you on the podcast. I do have a question that I always like to ask our guests, though, and that is, what has been your biggest God moment in all of your travels? <laughs> there have been many, many, many God moments, I have to say, uh, uh, too. Let me briefly tell you one uh, that, that was a, definitely a God moment. Um, this was, yeah, in fact, I can tell you the year. The year was 2006. Uh, we had 47 people booked on a tour we were doing. Now, I, we're living in Alberta. A tour we were doing to uh, Newfoundland and the, the Maritimes of Canada. And uh, most of our group were actually from Alberta. In other words, there were people who knew that I was running the tour and they were Christian friends and so on from, from Alberta. There were, there were a number of Americans as well. We had several people from America who'd been on tours with us to Australia and other places, and some of them had said, we want to join this tour that you're taking to uh, Newfoundland and, and, uh, and the Maritimes. So we had it all planned. Uh, for, Alberta, for Alberta group, we were going to fly by uh, a local airline, WestJet, from Calgary across to Halifax, Nova Scotia. And then we would take uh, buses from there. Um, and uh, then, oh, and then, but coming back, we were going to depend on another little airline from St. John's, Newfoundland, back to Halifax called Canjet, C-A-N-J-E-T, Canjet. And so we had booked with Canjet for our whole 47 people. Uh, back to Halifax, and then they would split, and our Alberta people would come back with WestJet to Calgary. On this day, this was about three weeks before our tour was to leave, I was working at my computer, and my wife called me to lunch. She said, Keith, it's I've got lunch ready, and I'm always faithful in in responding to a to a request for food and lunch to immediately drop what I'm doing. And I could have done that. For some reason I you know, I just clicked on my computer onto just the news network and uh, which I would not normally bother to do because I was going to lunch and this is the middle of the day. It was just about twelve o'clock. And the words hit me like this can jet is pulling out, going belly up, and out of all of their their commercial airline flights. I said, what? So I immediately, I called Nari, and I immediately called Canjet, and I said, listen, I'm just noticing something here on my computer, that you're no longer running flights, and we, you have, you have a group of 49 on one of your flights in about three weeks. And I go, they said, we're sorry, Mr. Clouton, that we've, as of today, there are no more flights. 
we're cancelling all flights. Uh, no more flights. We're just going concentrating now on different kind of travel, but no commercial. Huh. Well, what to do? I mean, we cancelled lunch, obviously, but I called WestJet and uh, that was giving us our trouble as far as Halifax, and I spoke to the the special guy that I'd worked with was WestJet on uh, groups. And I said, I'm in trouble, I told him. He said, yeah, he said, I've just heard that news too. He said, it's red hot news, it's just come through. He said, let me see. He said, on the day that you want, which was I think uh, the first or second of October, he said, I've got two flights leaving that morning, uh, WestJet flights from St. John's back to Halifax. He said, how many seats do you need? I said, I don't know off the moment. So I said to Nari, quickly, go through the list, find out how many seats we need from uh, St. John back to Halifax. And she she said, 36. So I called the guy back and I said, listen, I said, I need 36 flights on your first flight. He said, wait a minute. He said, Keith, he said, it happens I have 36 seats available at this moment on that first flight. He said, I've got more on later flights, but he said, I've got exactly 36. I said, that's exactly what we want. He said, you've got them. He said, Keith, you've got someone up there that's working for you. He said, all the public phones now here are running off the hook with people all calling, wanting to cancel their flights and find WestJet flights all through. He said, uh, he said, someone's working for you. And so that to me, when I shared that with our group on tour, <laughs> they, they all said, wow, God, it was wonderful. I said, what else? But, but God could have put that into my mind that morning at that moment to make that, uh, to check my computer on the news and uh, that God helped to follow us through. To me, that was a God moment. Absolutely. That is a wonderful example of a miracle of him just bringing all the pieces together and planning trips and tours is can be super hectic. But when a company goes under that, that was definitely a God thing. Right. Yes. So we have really enjoyed having you on the podcast. How can our listeners connect with you outside of this episode? Okay. Um, I'm willing to share my uh, my email. It's basically my name, Keith, with a dot after Keith, Keith.Clouton, C-L-O-U-T-E-N, and uh, at gmail.com. And I'm very happy to, uh, to be in touch. I, I'd love to be in touch with other Christian travelers. Um, and uh, I'm certainly looking forward to listening to more of your podcasts on uh, Christian Travels Network since I've just become acquainted with it in just the last few days. Thank you so much. Um, we have really enjoyed having you. And I also want to mention that you have some books that it would be great resources for Christian travelers to uh, utilize. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Uh, well, briefly, there's there's one book that I that I published several years ago. It was published actually by Wine Press. They're now Deep River Books, I think is what they're called in uh, Washington State. Um, the book is called Journeys, Devotions for Travelers. And I compiled that several years ago because it was based on 
little devotion also that I often shared with my tour groups as we were leaving on a bus in the morning for the day's trip. I needed to have a, a brief devotional that wouldn't take more than about three, three or four minutes um, so that we could leave on time. And so I prepared lots of little devotionals based on Bible journeys all the way from Abraham right through, of course, to uh, some of Paul's journeys. Um, and so I wrote those up. And so this little book, Journeys, Devotions for Travelers, is still available from uh, Deep River Books and probably could even be ordered through uh, Amazon. It may be a blessing to, to some people who do that. Um, that's the only, well, that's the a specific book about travel devotions. Uh, I did a big backpacking trip in Australia that uh, of 560 miles, and I wrote a book about that too, but uh, it's out of print. It's been out of print for many years, unfortunately. Okay, well, thank you, and I will put links to those in the description below. Uh, we have really enjoyed hearing your stories and uh, hearing how God has worked some amazing miracles with you, Keith. So, Christian travelers, I hope you have enjoyed today's episode. I encourage you to connect with Keith or check out some of his books that he mentioned. But until next time, safe travels and God bless.